We just people from the north side. Once the Timmy's hit the shore fine. Went to ready on the four ties. Heavy traffic during four five. Gotta hustle on your own time. Color people at before side. We just people from the north side. Once the Timmy's hit the shore fine. Went to ready on the four ties. Heavy traffic during four five. I know, I know I'm not as adorable as she is, but I I, I my questions are pretty probing, so it's good. It's good. <laughs> you're, you're you're plenty adorable. Don't put yourself down like that shucks now i'm blushing i mean one of the one of the greatest minds in pro wrestling and i mean that as a factual statement uh you have really been somebody that's been just fun and entertaining to watch both creatively behind the camera and in front of the camera you you were my childhood man i grew up with you we're the same age so i grew when you were getting big in ring of honor i was just getting into ring of honor and i was like this is everything like kevin steen el generico you cole you guys all tore it up you guys were some of my favorites hands down yeah, thanks. Those, those were uh, those are fun times. It's like w whenever you're in the middle of something, whatever you're in the middle of, right? Like you don't know what it is and how it's going to be perceived and how long it's going to last for. And so I get to look back fondly of all of that time. You know, I first came into Ring of Honor. It's, it's 20 years ago this month. It was June of, of 2003, and the excitement of being a 19 year old kid. Uh, performing at ring of honor and in philadelphia you know the the hardest fans in the in in the world but uh, they were great for us that night uh with all the nerves you know i i was i was so nervous you know i'm not i'm 19 me alex shelley and chris saban hop into a car like chris saban was booked and gabe spolsky the booker said well bring a couple guys i'll put them on um the pre-show and he said hey i'm gonna bring jacobs and, and and shelly and gabe had seen us before he's like all right i'll put them on the main show and so there was like a lot of pressure and i was doing a, I was doing the the furry boot thing at the time like a like a middle mini bruiser brody right i would go like huss 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 but it was super gimmicky and i'm backstage and i brought like regular stuff too should i be just like regular guy this is ring of honor this is serious wrestling and it was gary michael capetta that goes no be different and it was awesome because I was doing the hustle thing. I had it in my tights. I think I had it in my music. It started like, hus, hus. Um, and by the time I got in the ring, half the audience was just chanting, hus, hus, hus. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how I got off talking about that, but it's been 20 years and uh, since since I started Ring of Honor. And uh, man, those were, those were interesting times. They're fun times. Uh, oh, to be young. Oh, absolutely. 100%, man. I agree with you. Without a doubt, guys, that was one heck of a story right before the intro. Welcome to Straight Talk Wrestling. As you can see beside me, I got Jimmy Jacobs. No, it's all good, man. Listen, I love the, the, the reason that sets us apart. The reason that makes Straight Talk Wrestling a little bit different is it's not interview based. We're conversation based, man. I am totally up with yakking you know, shooting the shit, all that good stuff. And I mean, you're somebody that has been a bucket list of mine forever. I, I'm not gonna lie, I geeked out a little bit when you got back to me. You're like, hey, man, yeah, we can do this. And I was like, Holy crap, Jimmy Jacobs said, yeah, we can do this. So it's like, it's a bucket list moment checked off for sure. And it's an honor to be sitting down and conversating with you, like I said. Now, my first question is, you talked about that 10-day tour that you just finished here in Canada with my daughter, the mini host. Five questions usually drops a Saturday before we drop our conversation. And wrestling in Manitoba and Saskatchewan, there's not a whole lot of promotions out there. So to really kind of get your feet with, especially with the reservation, you talked about the fans and how much elated they got into it. The kids stealing the chair from you and all those great things. What's it like when you go to those niche markets and you see the vibe that pro wrestling brings to those communities? I love it. Like it's, it's my favorite. Like, look, man, the idea of performing at a high level, uh, 
right now in my life just makes my whole body just tense up and just curl up into a ball. Like I would never, I would never like want to wrestle for like, you know, NXT or Ring of Honor or Impact Wrestling or, or, or WWE or AEW. I just, it's like, these guys are so talented now and the bar is set so high now. I love house show wrestling, man. I love going in front of an audience and doing the things that I do and then just playing and engaging in that symbiotic relationship with the fans. And in you get that in, in those sorts of markets. And, you know, with CWE, um, you know, doing, you know, so I just did a 10 day tour. The last time I was up for him was um, pre COVID was the last like long tour he had. And we did like 30 days. I think I did like 28 of them or 27 of them in a row. And it's like, I would do that. I would do that for the rest of my life. I would do that every single day for the rest of my life. Just nothing else is going on in the world. All you're doing is going from one down to the next and hanging out with your buddies and performing and then just doing it again. And there's zero pressure. It's like, yeah, man, let's play. Uh, so I, I love that stuff. Absolutely. And you can see it when, even when you talk about it, you can see the passion, like the passion of, of wrestling just coming out in full force. It reminds you of, of why you fell in love with this business in the first place. And you also touched on, well, one thing I want to touch on is congratulations on your hall and fame induction GCW. That's incredible. And uh, who, who better than one of the longest friendships that you've had in this business, Alex Shelley to induct you. I mean, what a night, how special was it for you to get the call and be like, Hey man, we're putting you in the hall of fame. Yeah, it was, it's interesting, man. Like and I, I touched, I touched upon it in my hall of fame speech. I don't know if people understood exactly what I was saying at the beginning of it, but as a wrestler, look, we're, we're all our own worst critics on some level. And so I, I get this to where first, actually first when I got the text from, uh, from Brett, I thought he was going to ask me to induct Alex Shelley. I thought that's what he was going to ask me first. And then he said, I, you know, would you, would you want to go in this? And I said, yes. And I had, but then I had a lot of different feelings about it. You know, it's like the Indie Wrestling Hall of Fame. Like, what is it? It's like, there's no bigger consolation prize for a mediocre career than like, you, out of all the guys that didn't quite make it on the mainstream level, you're at the top of that. It's like a real backhanded compliment, like to, to that insecure part of you, right? Yeah. Um, and then you go, oh, there's like a hundred guys that should be doing this, getting in this before me. Um, but then you just go, well, it's cool. It's cool that someone is, is acknowledging you. And I think on some level, that's all, that's all all of us want, right? We all just want to be seen by the people in front of us. We all just want like a certain amount of validation. You know, sometimes it comes from a place of lack, but sometimes it's just like, it's just what we are. We're the kind of beings that want to see other people and be seen by them. You know, I, I say that in the, in the avatar sense, you know, I see you capital S like the, the, in the sense of like namaste, like I, the, the, the divine in me sees the divine in you. Like I see past all the insecurities and the, the walls that we build up. And I, I see the, the unique expression uh, that you are right. And cause we're all unique expressions of this, of this one consciousness that, that, that underlies reality. And we just, I think we all just want that. We all just want to, for the people around us to go, hey, you're okay. And you go, yeah, am I okay? Yes, I am. I don't have to keep putting on a show for you. I don't have to 
bring out all my coping mechanisms. I don't have to put on, you know, put on this face and pretend I'm this character anymore. I can just be with you and my existence is, is just enough, just me being me. And I think that's all we want. Um, and so in that sense, it's a long way of saying, in that sense, it was, it was nice to be uh, acknowledged. And, and, and you don't know, you don't know how the people see you, right? You don't know how the people see your, your, your career at all. And especially I've got a real like complicated relationship with my career. So I've seen a lot of my friends go on to, you know, make a ton of money and perform at the, at the absolute height of the business and go, I never, I never really did that. And it's like, sometimes I feel like my whole career is a consolation prize of going, ah, yeah, but you didn't quite, but you didn't quite. Um, and so it, it is, it is nice to be, uh, acknowledged, even if it is just like, Hey, you're a charity case, Jimmy will appreciate this. Let's acknowledge him, which might, maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Right. But no, I don't, I, I honestly, to, to be with all kinds of respect towards you, I don't believe it's a consolation prize. I believe you have had a career that's touched a lot of people, myself mainly. And that's why sitting down and having this conversation with you to me is the height of all the conversations that I've had thus far in my seven years. And I've been doing this for seven years, all the conversations that I've had, this is the most intriguing because I actually do want to say one thing to you. And I, I don't know how you're going to take it, but I'm going to say it. I want to say thank you because a couple of years ago, I was going through a dark time. I was going through a really dark time. And then there was your old matches that helped me get through quite a bit. And some of just, you know, the stuff that you've posted on your socials, most recently, a couple of those clips saying that, you know, everybody wants to be recognized. Everyone wants to be loved. Everyone wants to be appreciated. But some people don't realize that depression in itself is not really a disorder. Depression is just your body saying you, you have to stop. You've got to slow down. And I hit that wall. I hit that depression a couple of years ago. And I, I saw black. I was just ready to throw it all away. And if it wasn't for my wife and my daughters, and a couple solid friends and some inspirational words from yourself. I don't know if I'd be here. So thank you for that. And that's, that's genuine, man. That's genuine. Thank you for sharing that. And I do appreciate it. Um, yeah. Life is painful, right? It's hard. It, it is. I think I, you know, there's some people that say, Oh, you can just get in the flow of things and things are easy. I've, I've never found that. And I, I feel like life is inherently challenging and it isn't and limitation inherently has pain in it. And sometimes you can get to the point where it's hard to justify the pain of existence anymore. You go, well, what am I doing here? Like, how can I justify continuing through this, through this struggle? Like what makes it worth it? And you know, it's important to have something to offset the the inherent pain of life. Like it's like life needs to be worth living, and so you need to have a why. I think it was a uh, Nietzsche that said something like uh, a a why can off can whatever offset anyhow. It's not exactly right. I'm paraphrasing, but if basically if you have if you have a how if you have a why you can you can manage the how right. Um, yeah, so it, it's difficult, and I appreciate you opening up and saying that and look we all we all go through these things and to your to what you said earlier like depression isn't a it's it's this is my experience it's not a dysfunction of the body it's not a dysfunction of the body it is a message from your body saying things are out of alignment in your life and you need to like stop a second and go hey what's going on that my body's giving me a signal to cool it right now that's giving me it and it feels like torturous 
but it's so you can feel the discomfort of the signal to go, oh, I'm, I'm not, something's not right here. I need to fix what's not right. Um, and our, our bodies have this, this feedback system, right? Reality has a feedback system. It, it lets you know if you're in alignment with it. And when you're not, like you, you hit up against walls and the, the pain of hitting up against walls is, to, is, is an alert in the same way putting your hand on the stove, like the feeling of being burned is to let you know, hey, your hand's in trouble. And it's the same thing with all of reality. All of reality is a feedback system. Um, and it certainly exists in our bodies. The innate intelligence in our bodies um, should not be shut down. It should not be shut off. It should not be numbed. It should not be a distraction. Of course, we all do these things to some extent, but it's tapping into the wisdom of the body and the wisdom of reality I found to be um, beneficial in, in hard times because um, I believe that the structure of reality is good. You know, remains to be seen, but I believe it's good. I I agree with you. After going through whatever parallels were affecting me then to where I am now, it's night and day. The person, the journey, the growth, everything. I, I find myself to be a better husband, a better speaker, a better father. I'm not, you know, dad. I'm not, you know, dad of this entry, but definitely try my hardest. And being a girl dad's no picnic because being a girl dad is challenging because there's a lot of things that I can't help with. There's things I can. But there's things I can't. And especially in this social climate that we're in right now, these kids have it harder than I think any other generation based off of trying to figure out who they are in such a quick fashion. Yeah, man, our our, our culture is for all the comforts, there is a um there's a reaction to having like yeah, there's a reaction to having this much comfort, this much technology, um, this much disconnection from the nature of things. Um, our lives do not mimic that of uh, a human animal at almost at all, right? If you think of how a human animal would live, um, we are just divorced from that. And then of course, um, when you're not in the environment, in the patterns that the sort of creature that you are should be in, like it becomes difficult and radically difficult. And now we've added certain technologies that completely hijack our nervous system and hijack our dopamine reward system. And it's, it's, it's you know, we got in at the last generation before I think technology became way too invasive and now it's at the point where it's, it's there. Um, and I don't know what that's going to look like for our, for our future. Um, because it's difficult. It's like our, our brain wasn't meant to go up against having a bunch of new stuff on your, on your screen all the time. Right. Think about the idea of having a novel experience you know, out in nature and sort of what your brain is programmed to to be adapted to. And now, you know, looking on social media, the, the dopamine reward system completely hijacked. And so of course you're addicted to it because like the reward system in your brain is is supposed to be triggered by novel things. So 
you can go out into the wilderness and you have a little bit of fear, but also when you conquer the, the unknown territory, you get the sense of like, oh, look at this new thing that this new space that I'm comfortable in. Like, of course, it's it's hijacked when I can get that same dopamine fix without having to do anything. Um, so it's it's very difficult. It's, we're in a very difficult situation right now. And I think for as as, as much as people want to say things are, are are great right now, in some sense they are, um, we are, I believe we're, we're at a, a certain precipice of, um, of the danger of losing what it means to be human um, be, by becoming so disconnected from ourselves, from nature. And um, yeah, man, it's, it's a hard time right now. I, I, I see it as at least. I absolutely do. And I think uh, we could go down that rabbit hole forever, but let's swing things back to a more uptick of a conversation. 18 years ago, you wrestled Eddie Guerrero in a squash match. But the cool thing about that match was, and you post it yourself saying that match was short. It was sweet. He never touched me, but he made every movement look like it was a killer. And that shows the true genius of Eddie Guerrero that all of us fans know and remember him fondly for. But what do you remember him fondly for? Because I know a couple of people posted how they remember the fact that he was so genuine with extras. He took the time to say hello to everybody. It didn't matter if you were the coffee truck guy or you were the guy selling tickets at the stands. If Eddie saw you, he said hello. Dude, he, he was so great. Dude, I, I was 21. I just, I was at the show because Paul London was like, ah, just come on by. And so like, there I am feeling like a fraud backstage at WWE 21, like holding a cup of coffee, even though I don't drink coffee, just so it looks like I'm doing something. And uh, they needed somebody to work with Eddie and a couple of the guys knew me. And so they brought me over. They said, yeah, all right, you know, take out your earrings, take off your nail polish. And, you know, it's you and Eddie tonight. And like, maybe like, you don't, even at 21, I knew it's like, you don't, nothing happens till it happens. Right. And so I, there was nothing in me that was like, oh yeah, for, for sure this is going to happen. But this is what they're saying at least. And I saw Eddie in, when I was in the makeup room, getting my, my nail polish taken off. And I said, hey, man, I, I think we're we're working together tonight. And he was so kind. And he was like, I, I just want to thank you so much for doing this for me tonight. And I just want to apologize this match. You know, it needs to be 100% me. Uh, and I just appreciate your professionalism for, for doing me this favor. It's like, yo, I'm a, I'm a 21-year-old kid, like, about to have my first time on WWE TV. Like, I'm just excited to be there. And like, oh, my God, Eddie Guerrero. And he's acting like I'm doing him this 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 this, this favor. And um he, you know, he was, he's a bit erratic. He's a, he's a fun guy, but he was so kind and treated me as an equal. And it was a, it was a real powerful lesson that day. And I, I'm, I've, I know I've fallen short of it, but it was, it was impressed upon me that day that it doesn't matter where you are in the business. If Eddie Guerrero could have treated 21-year-old Jimmy Jacobs, like we're equals, it's like, it doesn't matter where you are. It's like, we're all, we're all humans in this. We're all people in this. Um, and it doesn't give you the right to, oh, here, here's a piece of meat. Here's a new kid I can abuse and talk down to. And just because I, I have the status. Um, so Eddie, Eddie really exemplified a, a professional backstage and again, in the ring to, to, to what you said, like he, this stuff looked so good. Like I had people calling me and I think calling me, I don't even know if there's texting back in 2005, uh, maybe texting me, but, uh, but calling me and just go, Oh my God, that looked, looked like he killed you. It looked like he killed you. It's like, he didn't touch me because that's, that's the art of wrestling. Like that's what we do. 
What, what we do is supposed to look like it hurts and it doesn't at all. That's the, that's the magic of it. And he was, uh, he was a real magician. Absolutely. 150%. And uh, just to hear you tell that story, even though I've heard it a few times, it's incredible to hear it, man. And it, it, it's exciting to hear it. And it's just to know how fondly he's remembered and still remembered to this day. That's why he is one of the goats. I put him on my Mount Rushmore for sure. But I got to ask this, you were in the creative kind of construct of WWE. You're also in the creative construct of Impact, surrounded by so many creative people and seeing how the two outlets themselves operate, especially being at Impact, as you called it, Scott Demore, and you went out on a date to see if it fit, and it's been five and a half years. And you've been there for a major part of the rebuilding phase. What's it like going from the epic powerhouse that is WWE and their creative machine to going to Impact it and seeing it from where it was in 2017 to where it is now, which is incredible because I've been an Impact faithful for a long time. And even in those years where I was unsure, I never left Impact's side. And I, to see where it is as a fan now, it's such a great product now. Thank you. Yeah, we, we've worked hard to turn the turn the place around. Um, you know, when I came in in 2017, it was going through a hard time. You know, they had gone through different owners and different bookers and, um, and Scott came in and did what Scott sort of does and he he cleaned up house you know everything was super over budget and it had like i saw that when i first came there I'm like oh we're, we're at a phase where things are being shrunken down like because uh, you know it's, it's hemorrhaging money otherwise you know you don't have the, the spike tv money coming in anymore um so it was about doing um doing practical things to to get the, the show to be to be manageable on all levels like instead of it hemorrhaging money and the angles being like you know you promote something and you don't pay it off and screw job finishes at the end of pay-per-views and all the sort of stuff that that tna was known for it's like hey man let's just like go back to basics as best we can uh just for now and like you know promote matches and deliver on them and give them finishes and have have some good wrestling and just stop screwing over the fans stop screwing over other companies other wrestlers um and so yeah i, I was a part of it I, I think i think that's what we've done is rebuilt the the trust in in the audience or with, with the audience and within the wrestling community look we've we've since i've been there we've had working deals with i think like every company right from you know, from New Japan, who their relationship with TNA was not good after, uh, you know, the Okada stuff from, from years ago. And um, with AEW, we've done stuff with them. Uh, and even with WWE, with Mickey James going on uh, in the Royal Rumble. It's like, we're just like, yeah, yeah. It's like, we're, we'll be reasonable people, we'll be re reasonable humans. Um, so it was, it was a transition to go, oh, um, it went from WWE where money is just being sort of thrown around on big production things and as as big as your idea can be or Vince's idea can be like they can spend the money to make it even bigger to where um you know there's a little more practicality in it uh, I was a guy that was wearing different hats at that point I was a manager and I was I was producing backstage stuff and writing the creative and doing doing a handful of different things that I could just like sort of jump right in there and do it uh but with a with at that point, more limited resources, we just started to get a flow in and, um, you know, yeah, yeah, those, those early days, 
it was like about stripping back. And then once things were sort of stripped back, it was like, okay, now, now we can rebuild again. Now we can add a little more here, add a little more here, add a little more here, add a little more here. Um, but it was a good, it was a very good fit um, for, for many reasons. I had just come off of working for Vince McMahon and uh, which was, which is difficult, at least for me, it was difficult. And it was nice to have a boss that allowed me to play, to, you know, take risks, have ideas. And if they work great, if they don't, okay, that's fine. You don't have to worry about getting fired, which is kind of, I think how a lot of people in WB operate, you're just like doing the thing to not get you fired. And, you know, you can do that, but you're just playing, you're playing not to lose. You're not playing to win anymore. And so it was, it was nice going to a new environment. And I mean, obviously I've been there five and a half years, so it's been a good relationship. Absolutely, it has. And the one consistent for me is, again, being a girl dad, is having these larger-than-life superheroes be someone that my kids can admire. And the knockouts division has been forever the consistent, forever ahead of the curve, forever the evolving, actually, impact as a whole. I mean, having Tessa Blanchard as your first ever female heavyweight champion, it's huge. I mean, it may have not been the run that everybody was hoping for, but it's incredible. It's it's turning up the tide and always being at the forefront. When you look at the knockouts division and all the things you're doing, especially with just around the corner, we're getting the first ever woman's dog collar match. Like, whew, man, the stakes are always high and the knockouts always seem to be like, yeah, okay, yep, we're down for the challenge. We're up, for, we want the challenge, bring the challenge on. I feel like that's what the knockouts division has always been about. And it's always been one of the great consistence of the Impact TNA product. Yeah, it's it's been a pleasure to work with, work with the women uh, and seeing different women sort of blossom and, and, and you know, step into the roles that they can step into, right? Um, you know, someone like uh, Taya Valkyrie, who when I came in there, she had, you know, she had had some experience in, in Mexico. She was kind of a deal there and she was working for us in Lucha Underground. Uh, but I think she really, she like found herself at Impact. Like she found like the, the whole thing. And it was cool to witness that. It was cool to witness like, you know, she, like she didn't know her voice. I remember doing promos with her early on and like, she just didn't know her voice. And then, then she found her voice. And then I didn't have to like produce her at all. I would say, yeah, you're talking about this. And she would go. And that's all, that's always a, an awesome, awesome thing to witness when, a, when someone like finds themselves, you go, yeah, there you are. You know, even the, the stuff with Tessa, man, like Tessa was our most popular character at the time. And she was, one of the best in-ring performers like the, the climate was was right to to take that leap you know again whether it was the right call at the end of the day it's like i still stand by it because like good booking takes balls and it's a okay you don't hit a home run with this one that's fine but if you never try to hit a home run you're never gonna hit a home you're never gonna get it you're never gonna get it over the fence like Yes, there, there's utility to, to, to creeping up and playing it like solid, 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 solid. But at some point it's like, okay, we're teed up. We got to go for something. You know, you got to go for the, you know, whatever the, the yes movement, right? You have to, you have to get behind it. You have to do something that goes, well, this isn't what we would normally do, but here's Brian Danielson. Okay. You know, um, yeah, so the, the, the women there would be great. We had the first like women's ultimate X, like last, was the beginning of last year, I think, mm -hmm. um, which was awesome. They did a fantastic job and yeah, man, they're great. They absolutely are. And uh, you know, it, it's, it's it, you look at the last five years, the whirlwind that it's been, especially like you said, 
<laughs> to go from one environment where, yeah, you know, you don't know what's going to happen day in and day out to go to another one where it's like, hey, I got this idea. Okay, let's give it a shot. You know what? That one maybe didn't work, but let's try something different. Let's try it this way. When you have that creative freedom, do you feel like, I guess you could say that feedback system that you talked about, do you feel like that feedback system is liberated in a way? It's like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and roll the dice on this one, or I'm going to, I'm going to make a left where I should have made a right. I'm going to see what happens. I'm, I'm, I'm at that fork of the road and I'm just going to, I'm going to go where the storyline takes me or where the storyline should take me. Yeah. You, you, you have to, at some point you have to live or die by, by you, like by your thing, by what comes out of you. Like, so you have to, otherwise, I mean, fine, you can, you can live under the, the rule of your boss forever and just trying to do what he wants. And it's like, if he's a tyrannical boss and that's, that's the boss's right to be tyrannical, right? Um, Cause they're the boss. That's, you know, like Vince, it's Vince's sandbox. I'm not saying he's tyrannical, but it's like, it's always gonna be Vince's way. Um, and so you're not gonna, you're not gonna go, well, I'm gonna do it my way today. It's like, no, no, you do it Vince's way. What you want is a boss that hires people he trusts enough to do what they do best. And by giving them that framework, that, that, that containment, it allows the people to blossom into being the best things they can be. And so that goes for, for me as a creative person, it also goes for me with my talent, right? I, I need to give my guys storylines or bullet points for promos or whatever that they can then do them the best where I'm not a tyrannical creative guy and going, no, you need to say exactly this. You need to do everything exactly like this. Well, then they're not there. It's just a, like my puppet and there's no soul in that. And so in order to create, and this, this just, this goes for anything. This isn't just wrestling. This is, this is life. It's like you either will live your whole life playing a character that you of what you think other people want from you. And you will you will die as this guy or just holding on to this mask and holding on to this costume and holding on to this character. Or at some point you just go, this is my life and I have to be as true and honest to myself as possible. I have to do everything I can to not betray myself and see where, where then my life goes. Because otherwise it's not your life. If, if, if I'm, living because of my parents think I should act this way or the people I'm around, you know, I think that this is how they want me to act. And I don't want to hurt this person's feelings. So I can't say this and I can't act this way around this person. It's like, you're not living your life. You're living in a, in a amalgamation of what you perceive other people want you to be. And like, you know, as far as I know, you only get one of these, but you know, probably not. But as far as we know for sure, there's one. There's certainly, you know, probably one as, as this character. So it's like you have to go and live it. Like you, you, or or you die clutching on to the the character that you want everybody to think you are. Um, and it go again. It, so it goes for life. It goes for wrestling because wrestling is a is a microcosm of of reality, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and I couldn't agree with you more. It's it's fascinating to hear someone on the same wavelength as me, but someone who's way more hipper and way more cooler than I am. Like I said, at the end of the day, I, I know my niche and I stay in it. My lane is video games, movies, wrestling, and uh, pop culture references, and also quoting random one lines from episodes. Like one of my favorite go-to lines from, obviously you're a safe by the bell guy. We grew up in the same generation. 
Uh, there's an episode where Screech goes to uh, Kelly just starts becoming a waitress and Screech goes there. Can I order a purple papaya pineapple cranberry sparkler? And she looks at him. She goes, what? And he goes, oh, I'll just take milk. Whenever I go to a restaurant, Jimmy, I'm not going to lie. My wife hates it. I quote that line all the time. And I actually had one waitress Google a purple papaya pineapple cranberry sparkler to try to see if she could make it. But then she came back and said, I'm sorry, we don't have any papaya. And I said, that's okay. Cause I've never had one. And I don't plan to. That's a lot of fruit in one drink. <laughs> I, I don't remember that quote, but I was, yeah. Zach Morris was like my hero in third grade. I wanted to be just like him. I was like, why can't I have blonde hair and pick up all the girls? And why can't, why can't every girl in my school look like Kelly Kabowski? I don't understand it. I don't get it. <laughs> what, I mean, when you go back, when you go back through like, the, the, like we were 90s kids you go back through the 90s and then you look at stuff now and it's almost like they're running out of ideas and everything's getting revamped and everything's getting brought back it's so weird to see stuff like safe by the bell returning or fresh prince of bel-air taking a dramatic turn has there been any show from when you were younger that maybe has not been remade that you're thinking i wonder how they would do it nowadays i wonder how they would do it in this climate I don't even know what did i like as a kid i don't know man i liked wrestling yeah. <laughs> I, I like saved by the bell yeah they, they did bring that one back i don't know what else i what else i would be like yearning for a comeback i mean look there, there's a built-in audience with any any of these um uh, updates you know in these new updates of the same thing so there's a built-in audience and of course nostalgia sells and also you know also with with the with the amount of like media and just content in general like it's a lot it's a lot how many new things can you do i mean it's amazing new things come up all the time but fundamentally we're telling the same stories right and it's like this in wrestling it's like you're you're telling the same stories but with different characters um because there there really only are a few stories and fundamentally there's only one story right there's only there's only there's there's one story it's the uh the expansion and contraction of consciousness and you know and it's just it's just a matter of of which which part of the cycle you end on whether it's tragedy or a or a or a comedy right but that that's all it is it's like existence happens and then uh oh my gosh, something, something, there's a catastrophe and uh, I have to fix the catastrophe and by fixing the catastrophe, I, I grow as a person, right? That's, that's what it all is. That's what everything is. It's like life is put in front of me and through the hardships, I grow. Um, and yeah, man, that's, 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 I think that's the story of all things. Um, I agree with it. The story, the simplest terms and the most convenient definitions right there. Now, when, when you look at, you talked about Taya finding her voice, uh, and this was a great segue to this question. So you talked about Taya finding her voice. Was there anybody else that you were creatively working with at the time or producing that found their voice? And when they found it, you were like, holy crap, this is, this is something we're witnessing something special. And I know you touched on Taya and Tessa, but was anybody else that you were like, wow, this is, we're in the midst of, whew, you know, you know what I was excited about that never like, like, like he left right after us and, and, and never just got a, I think a, a good opportunity to, to get back in the mix of things was Matt Seidel. Like Matt Seidel was like never a good promo. He was always a very good wrestler, a very good performer, but never a good promo. And like right at the end of his impact run, he, he was starting to do this like, uh, like a bit of like a new age yogi sort of thing. 
And I thought his promos were like, it was like, yes, like you finally found your voice. And he left like real shortly thereafter. And so we never got to like, to really get into it. And um, that was, that was one that I got excited about. You know, again, it's, it's cool to see guys who struggle to, to put sentences together and deliver something meaningful, like all of a sudden, like click into something that they go, yep, I can say this all day long. Yeah, Seidel's another one. Um, and I, it's, it's just never, it's just never, um, yeah. <laughs> just never, we were right on the cusp and we didn't get there. Yeah. It's like the Maple Leafs try to win the Stanley Cup. We're almost there yet, never there. <laughs> when you look back at your career, and like you said, you put it, you said the words consolation. I disagree. But when you look about all the the people that you've helped, the people that have helped you, the growth, the evolution, the the nature of things, as you so perfectly quoted it, when you look back at everything, is there something that you sit there and you think? Do you ever reflect and say, you know what, contemplate consolation prize or not, in your own opinion, this is one hell of a ride. This the the view at on this section or this journey thus far, 39 years in, has had some peaks, some valleys. I've stumbled, I've fallen. Sometimes I've been carried, sometimes I've carried others. But when I look back at the whole 39 years of climbing this, whatever this journey is, it's been pretty freaking cool. Yeah, I mean, of course, like it's it's not lost on me, even though I get lost in it, like we all do, right? We all get lost in the noise, the noise of our own mind and the noise that we sort of project onto reality that, you know, you're just like, oh, what, you think what's happening to me, right? You think the world is this thing that's just like happening to you and you're out of alignment with things. But when I, when I really stop, I go, man, what a, what a weird thing that's going on here what a what a ride and what a path that i particularly took and i'm not I'm not here to like pat myself on the back or, or insinuate that i'm special in, in in some way because we're we're all unique in our own way and i get to look at me being unique in my way going yeah like i did i decided to do this thing i decided at 15 years old like undersized, underaged, under talented, under athletic, under trained. And I was like, yeah, I'm just gonna be a pro wrestler. And like nothing stopped me. It was it was just like I was a madman. I was like 16 years, 15 years old, 16 years old, 17 years old. Like I'm just going and just every weekend, just going here, going here, just acting like a a lunatic. Like I watch these old videos of me around like 17, and I'm just like. Like coming out in like a cutoff powerhouse gym shirt and I'm like walking around like like I'm like rail thin pretending I'm like a power lifter I'm stepping over the top rope like I'm a giant I'm like 17 years old just like doing this with no fear with nothing holding me back I'm like look at you kid look at like I've I've such I have such fondness of for like 16 17 year old 15 year old me 18 year old me that there was never a, an idea of a barrier there. It was just like, yeah, I'm just going to keep doing this. That's all. That's all I'm going to do is just keep doing this. And it all like unfolded. It's really cool to look, it's really cool to look at, right? It's really cool to look at. And it's sad sometimes. It's, it's sad 
because you know there's you, you get older and there's, there's like new fears that get built up and maybe it's because when you're young it feels like you have nothing to lose when you're older it's like oh now i have stuff to lose now i have a reputation to lose now i have my assets to lose now i have my career to lose now i have oh time is time isn't on my side anymore like i'm starting to get on the other side of that and i have that to lose now and all these 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 fears and these stories start to build up and i look at myself at 16 and go he just did it he just did it he did it and did it poorly but he did it um and i have I have admiration for that i've had I, and i have admiration for anybody that chooses to to do something i think we live in a and i don't want to be like i don't want to be hypercritical about things this is just this is just what i perceive so it's going to be ironic that i say this i see a lot of critics right it's easy now to to like have access to people like you watch right i i can tweet movie stars and i, I and i can just i can be critical of all sorts of things. I can be a movie critic, I can be a wrestling critic, I can be this, I can be a critic of this guy's life, and I can be a critic of what this guy says. And it's like it takes nothing to do that. There's nothing happening there. It's like you can you can build or you can destroy. And and life's both. Don't get me wrong. But like I appreciate people that create and go out there and live their lives in a in a bold manner even poorly because it's like of course you have of course you have to do things poorly like of course this is why the the first card of the tarot is the fool it's like the fool goes out and goes into the world without knowing anything and he's bad at things but like at the but you have to be a fool to get to the end like you have to be bad to eventually be a master right and so i've got I've got a lot of, you know, this is why, I, look, man, I, you're doing like a podcast with you and your daughter. It's like, yes, I have no idea how many people watch it. You might, you might have two, two viewers. I, I, it doesn't matter to me because I go, heck yeah, man, do it, do whatever you want to do. Go out in the world in some way and express yourself as honestly as you can that's all you can do right like that's what like what else are we here doing but seeing what's inside of us and sharing that with others and holding space for others to share themselves with us so that's that's how my career was i guess and that's how that's how i view the the ride it's like yeah even even though there's fear look man i i just I moved out into the middle of nowhere of Georgia last year. Cause I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna try to garden and farm. And it's been difficult. I've been like volunteering at an organic farm twice a week. And it's been really hard. It's been one of the hardest years of my life. Like, I, like I'm, I'm isolated. I'm like, I'm like, oh, I don't need to be out in the, I don't need to be engaged in, in, in the world anymore. I'm just gonna go out in the middle of nowhere. It's like, it's so difficult. It's so difficult to be isolated. And I look at the decision I made to come out and I go, oh, um, this is hard and part of me just is it's just difficult it's challenge it brings up the challenges in me um and you go oh it was a mistake you go, no, no no it was a mistake you you went and you you attempted something and you had the experience of doing that 
And if you need to course correct, you can course correct. Like you're allowed to make a decision and then make a new decision, but good for you. Good for you for going and playing the game of life, even if you did it poorly. Good for you. I like that. I actually love all of that. And I think that's an excellent way to end this absolutely amazing conversation. And Jimmy, Jamie, Jimmy Jacobs, like I said, it's an honor to conversate with you, but now to actually sit back and call you a friend. That's the coolest part of it. Cause that's what this conversation was. It was just two friends legitimately uh, shooting the shit and it was incredible. And uh, isolation or not, man, if I ever make it out to Georgia, I will help you farm. I will do what I can to help you get where you got to go. My friend, I will do with that with, with a smile on my face because this conversation has been enlightening. And the fact that I was able to sit down and tell you, thank you, because a lot of your inspirational words kept me on the right track. That means more to me than anything else. So Jimmy Jacobs, thank you so much for the time. This was a true pleasure and honor. Thanks, George. Appreciate you, bud. Yes, sir. All right, guys, that's it for this one. See you next week. Peace, love, and wrestling. Thank you so much for watching. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, and turn on that notification bell so you get notified each time we post a video. Alternatively, you can check us out on all podcast platforms and host it on Podbean. We are also available on the SNME Network. That's the Sunday Night Main Event Patreon. Please feel free to check us out there as well. And don't forget to follow us on all social media platforms at underscore Straight Talk on Twitter, at Straight Talk Wrestling on Instagram, Straight Talk Wrestling on Facebook, Straight Talk Wrestling on TikTok, and of course, you can check out all our merch at ProWrestlingTees.com. I don't need a nigga cosign. Without the liquor, you become a victim. You ain't never got a pole mine. I ain't messing with this generation. Fuck your gender. I ain't got